Welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, holistic visions for the planet Earth. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with John Brancy. John is an internationally acclaimed baritone opera singer. John Brancy's intense musicality and communicative power place him in the front ranks of baritones of his generation. Hailed by the New York Times as a vibrant, resonant presence, Brancy won first prize in the Art Song Division of the 2018 Concours Musical International de Montréal, a win that recognizes him as a premier interpreter of art song repertoire in our time. Also, John has been my episode number one on Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, so I'm really stoked to welcome you back to the show. Welcome, John Brancy. Hello. Hello, everybody. Nice to be back, Julian. <laughs> Yeah, let's make this a tradition, right? We, we said every 100 episodes, we'll check in and see what life is uh, emerging for us. Yeah, and what we've been able to manifest from the previous, the previous time. Very well. well. Why don't you start there? What's, what's been happening for you in the last two years? I just shared you, you won a, an art song division prize. Um, what, what else has been going on in the singing world for you? Um, in the singing world, I mean, I've continued to uh travel and perform in the both both continents in europe and and uh america and canada and the the montreal competition was one of the harder competitions and feats that i put myself through as a singer um because i i competed in not just the art song but also the aria round so that meant i did all six rounds because i made the finals of both so um, that was over, I think, about 10 days, and I ended up doing, you know, six concerts. And then uh, <clears throat> after that, I, I, I spent some time, and oh man, it, I think the last time we spoke, I was in France, and it, I had just finished a gig, or I was just going to perform um, a gig in, in a, a, a competition. I was just going to perform a competition yeah, in right. Russia. Yeah. So, and uh, that ended up being very interesting. I ended up singing Russia, Russian in Russia, in, in Moscow. I was singing Yeletsky's Aria, which is actually available on YouTube. It's, it's this like super famous Russian aria. But then I worked in Austria for some months and uh, got to know that the landscape there. I've been back in France and, um, and in Germany and, uh, I was doing some interesting projects this season, specifically with uh, a new director named Yuval Sharon. So he and I put to, we, we worked on two different projects together, one in Frankfurt and then the other was in Los Angeles. And um, I'm particularly uh, proud of the work that we did on those. That's new opera, new music theater. And we were approaching some really amazing topics, some completely out there uh, <laughs> uh, on the on the spectrum of out there uh, topics and Atlas and, you're talking about in Los Angeles yeah I, Atlas was the, the one that I did the, the LA Phil and uh, we can talk quite a bit about that because it it goes it digs very very deep um, yeah, jump right there for a second because I'm really interested yeah. for for those people listening who are who are not really into opera as much. Uh, the opera world is obviously changing, right? Like it's, it's a pretty traditional yeah. kind of um, landscape and, and countries like Germany have uh, 
amazing funding for that traditional landscape, but most other places in the world don't. And so there's, there's a modernity, modernity that's lacking in the opera world often. And you're one of those singers who, who likes to, to kind of jump in, into that and co-create that. And I think that's what you guys did in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, that was a fully uh, augmented reality experience where they had um, all of the singers and performers were at one point performing inside of this uh, 40-foot diameter globe that they built and they, they, they built inside of Disney Hall in Los Angeles. And then they made wow. these incredible uh, projections with multiple 4K projectors that they then made this sort of seamless projection over the uh, over the globe and so we were inside we were interacting with the projections with the projection elements and um from the outside of the globe and on the inside of the globe and um the whole piece uh atlas is about three hours long and it was it was written in the early 90s by meredith monk and uh, uh an original cast they actually all kind of co-created it but she was the real mind behind all of it, but it wasn't written down onto a score until very recently. And that was the only reason why we were really able to make it into a piece because they were actually able to make it into a, a written score and we could read what they had done. It was actually created completely from their, their, their own oral experience with the music over several years. Um, and the journey follows Alexandra de David Neal, who is a, uh, an explorer, a female explorer in the 20th century. And she followed, uh, I think pretty closely followed the, the teachings of Helena Blavatsky in the Theosophical Society. Um, and she was, I believe, to be one of the first women to meet the Dalai Lama and, and study with him for several years. But she started off as an opera singer. Um, and she also spent time in singing in, uh, at the Hanoi Opera House in, in Vietnam, but she was of Belgian, Belgian descent. Um, and so the story sort of loosely follows her journey, but goes into that, um, that story of communicating with nature and communicating with, with, uh, with magic and with, with alchemy. That's a big part of of the of the message of of the piece of the sort of the 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 woven through line, and then you add the element of song, you add the element of chant, and you add the element of of sort of like nature sounds, and then you have the makings of 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 this piece plus the augmented reality experience. People wow. people were on their feet for very very long periods of time after the shows. We only did three, but I think we'll probably bring it back. Um, and I I'm hoping that it will go to many cities. That sounds fascinating. And let's, let's touch on the like, magic and mystical part in, in just a little bit. I, yeah. I want to ask another question first here. Three-hour piece, right? You only have three performances, but, but I know you're like rehearsing like crazy up front for that. So as a singer, how much discipline or how much do you have to flex the muscle of discipline on an everyday basis? So... It really is, I mean, I kind of view my time as I'm working and I'm not working <laughs> with my voice specifically. So I have either a period of time where my voice is going to be in full use. And that means that I'll be, I'll be singing probably a minimum of four to five hours a day. So that's when I'm in a rehearsal period. 
-hmm. And the pieces now, because I've introduced and I've asked, you know, the universe in a way and put it out into the, into, into the world that I work with, that I want to sing this new music and I want to be a part of these new productions. My voice as a, as a, as an instrument, I'm having to train to do different things and make sure that if I'm approaching these different ways of singing and use, using my instrument, that I'm not going to harm it because I need it for the rest of my life. And I need it to be optimal as well. So in those periods of work, in those periods of study, um, it's, it's important for me to recognize how much of that time needs to be spent relaxing my body and hydrating, getting plenty of sleep, eight to nine hours minimum at night, plus realizing that I'm going to be using my voice and my body simultaneously for five to six hours a day, singing and moving and you know all of that. Atlas was definitely the one of the most challenging and rewarding uh, projects I've ever been on because we were also charged to to uh, to dance and every movement in in the piece was really choreographed to express the the, the vocal line and, and the story. Really cool. Would you say that discipline and self-love have something to do with each other? Because you, you know that's your career and this is this is who you've yeah. chosen to be. Like you, you couldn't express that without the discipline of, of following that, that regimen every day, right? So right. is that like a form of self-love expression or like how does that resonate for you? Well, self-love is, is interesting in a, in a position where you are applauded for being you, you know, <laughs> just like being on stage, just making music from your discipline. You know, because that's it's, it's funny that you use the word discipline. That's what they call it, called it at Juilliard. They're like, what is your discipline? You know, your discipline is the violin. Your discipline is dance. Your discipline right. is act. Your discipline is your voice. So it's like in a conservatory system, that's like how they would then categorize the the subcategories, the discipline. So the expression you're having so, is actually your discipline. Yeah. 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 And the difference between me as the discipline of my voice and my and who I am as a performer versus me, John, just me, you know, if I'm spending these, you know, most of my time, five to six hours a day living as the performer and living as the singer, I'm a lot of the time looking for that, that, that gratification moment. And most days, I don't get it. Most days I'm actually receiving lots of criticism, tons of criticism over my, you know, how rhythmic, rhythmically inaccurate I was or how tonally inaccurate I am or how my, my languages and, and my, the words that I'm saying aren't necessarily mix, matching the dramatic moment for the piece. Um, so most of what I experience in terms of self-love for my discipline is actually hypercritical, but it's in order for me to then achieve the higher plane of and, and realization of the discipline. And Atlas still kind of like will at this point be like one of the, the strongest measurements for me in my career uh, of, of, of that experience. Beautifully put. I feel like there is something in there that most people 
seem, seem to, you know, kind of forget when they think of artists or athletes mm. when they perform is that there, there is such a high level of resilience to deal with like hypercritical uh, feedback on a daily basis, right? Yeah, from multiple people too. It's, it's like you have the conductor, you have the director, you have the assistant director, you have the assistant conductor, you have the prompter, you have the diction coach, you know, and these are all people that have spent their entire lives perfecting their understanding of what they're looking for and the vision of what they want to create for the piece that they're putting on as well. So it's like they all have to be in tune with what they're asking of the artist. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you have people saying different things at different times that are wanting this and somebody's wanting that. And then you have to figure out how do you address the fact that they want different things. So, but a lot of the times it's actually, it's working in this sort of, yeah, this phenomenon of a, of a way where everybody's kind of moving towards creating the, the, the piece, you know, creating that, that the, the, the ultimate form of, of what, what is trying to be created for the stage and for the audience to, to take it in. To unleash that superpower. Yeah, really cool, man. Th Indeed. Thanks, John, for, for going into that. I have a follow-up yeah. question on the idea of like mystical and, you know, following nature's kind of pulse and you might, you might know what's coming. Um, can you take us back to one of your first conscious psychedelic experiences? If you feel ready to share that. Oh. I am absolutely ready to share that. Um, I've shared it with a lot of colleagues and friends and family. And I think it's, it's really important for us to slowly but surely break down the walls of um, uh, judgment for uh, psychedelics. And, and the fact that, you know, I believe personally, just taking a moment to say this, but I believe that um, there's so much misinformation out there uh, regarding the medicine and the plant medicine and how it, how it operates. And um, until we really kind of embrace uh, these things as medicine, we're never going to truly know as a, as a, as a society what, what they can and will do for us, you know? So it's a sort of, I, I am of the camp and of the people that feel it is important to demystify the mystical and help people just realize that it's something that you can do. It's not going to, it's going to change you in ways, but it's not going to, um, I don't, I mean, personally, I haven't been harmed. I feel, I feel uh, awakened by most of my experiences. So one of them, um, I was actually kind of having a conversation recently with, with another singer who was telling me of uh, an experience that he had with some friends. And I, I mentioned that, you know, of the, you know, I think 12 or so times that I've taken mushrooms, I, the, the one or two times where it got a little bit too intense, the other times in the positive experiences greatly, vastly <clears throat> outweighed the negative experiences that I had. Um, and one of the experiences that I remember is, is we started playing, it was like on an old big screen TV that were, remember those big screen TVs that were like really thick in the back. They had tons of, you know, and they were kind of like hot and, and, Definitely. and, and like they were not, they're not the, the, the flat screen sort of like led lights that we have now. They were like analog and just like burning bright, you know, it was like, you would, you would see the image out in your eyes if you'd look away afterwards. So we were watching on this one, it must have been, you know, a huge, huge screen. It was even bigger because I was like, I was obviously uh, in a 
psychedelic experience. But we were watching Concert for George, uh, George Harrison of the Beatles. And um, I think Ravi Shankar and his daughter were both playing together. And I swear, at that point, I was transported to the concert. And I was with them and I was singing and I, I ended up like using my voice and performing. You know, I was, I was probably in my late teens at the time. That's the other thing is that like my developing mind was able to play with these, these uh, psychedelics, um, which I think was probably a pretty cool, cool idea. <laughs> and, uh, but getting to like, instead of just watch Ravi Shankar and his daughter play, I ended up like singing with them. And I think it probably had something to do with my ability to hear that music and then ultimately sing it now is that I, I, I was open to an entirely different experience just watching a TV. Wow, you became the music. You, you didn't quite become Ravi Shankar, but you became the music. I performed with them. I was there and I was performing with them. Yeah, it's sort of, and then also with my friends as well, because it was a very communal activity that we would do this stuff. One of the more uh, mystical, natural experiences that I had was we would visit a quarry um, that was near to my home. It was, it used to be a dredging quarry for sand uh, for uh, this place called Glassboro, where they made a lot of glass in the early 20th century, I think. And basically, um, the area, they ended up hitting uh, big, big reservoirs of water, and then it filled up with this crystal blue water, the gorgeous lakes that are just randomly placed throughout uh, South New Jersey. It's so out of place. But we went there in, I think, like um, late November, or even maybe even around December around Christmas time and I watched uh, I was we were just camping out in an area where the sun was uh, still you know in the sky the sun doesn't sets much much earlier but it was still in the sky and it was keeping everything relatively warm but we had the where, where the sun wasn't and was the water was fro both frozen and and liquid at the same time it was and it was playing with each other like Basically, that was that was happening, and because of that action and the and the ice and the and the the heat of the sun interacting with the with the cold from the other side of the trees, because it was literally like one side of the trees was ice and dark, and then the other side was just like a cove cut out with with the sun keeping everything alive and and and, and, and well. We heard the sort of the music of of this 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 very interesting play of ice and water happening simultaneously and then also in that little cutout cove we found uh you know bentonite clay that we were that all these plants were still growing in in the middle of winter um because of the how it was it was facing the sun so there's a lot of really uh incredible interactions that i had with nature with regards to that as well um yeah. i think this is one of the curious reasons why i'm why i'm asking you you know is um, apart from the obvious like hallucinogenic experience of expanding reality and the ex understanding that you know you can be part of the concert even though you may be watching it from the tv this understanding and experience with nature and the way our nature awareness changes through some of the plant medicines and even when I just hear you speak about like almost like the life and death of ice and water or liquid and, and solid, right? 
um, the dance and the song between those those elemental exchanges. Would you say it's it's something that is like um, like a gift to recognize nature in its in its essence and, and form like that? <clears throat> it's a gift, but it's also um, it's 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 a choice to make it a part of your journey on this planet to partake on with something that literally requires no preparation to to experience you know specifically talking about psilocybin mushrooms um it's absolutely a gift and it's it's a way of of touching nature with your spirit self rather than just being tactile and kinesthetic with its material because there are so many different aspects to our sensory um our sensory system that if we're interacting with only one at a time with nature and primarily you know sight sound and just taking those things one at a time. Oh, I see the bird. Oh, I hear the bird. You know, oh, I feel the sand. Mushrooms and psilocybin allow us to experience all those things simultaneously. And in even ways that we wouldn't be able to if we were in a flow state on our, in our own, in our own uh, uh, raised awareness. You know, I think it would take us a very long time of practicing to get to that place, which mushrooms allow us to get to in a matter of hours. Um, so I think that's why also that it's so profound for some people is because it happens so quickly. And, and maybe, that's maybe why it can be so confrontational if you absorb it in the yes. wrong atmosphere or environment, right? Because it, it heightens Absolutely. your perception and your awareness to a degree where the wrong impulse or the wrong input might, might be, might be quite, yeah, fatal almost, right? Yeah. Really interesting. I, I like to explore those, those topics as they're coming kind of back into our mainstream. And at the same time, like, you know, as a performing artist, you have uh, such a, um, a rich way of explaining and expressing that and how our reality expands. And I think, um, breaking some of the taboos or the fears is, I guess, an important part of um, recognizing ourselves as earth creatures. And um, thank you, thank you for going there. I have a few mm. rapid-fire questions for you. Um, Please, I love this. Yeah. So, what do you prefer, lake water or ocean water? <sighs> I've had very many diff different qualities of both in my life. So I, I would I, immediately, my, my gut tells me lake water, but uh, yeah, because ocean water, I, I have a bit of a fear of, I do have a bit of a fear of the ocean. Nice. Meat or veggies? Um, vegetables. Plant trees or fly to Mars? Um, for me personally, like what, what I want to do or for the people just, uh, can't plant trees on Mars. 
that's a that's an okay answer and just just asking you the rapid fire questions you you're good at plant trees back on Mars. The, the the plant trees on mars okay you're coming back into the yeah. timeless state of what am i going to do with this one water or kombucha john uh kombucha if you want something done right do it yourself or better as a team team cannabis or alcohol cannabis jungle or desert jungle right on the edge of becoming a desert <laughs> john i might have asked you this one before but what is happiness to you happiness is being able to um, make make music for a living and connect with humanity through music and it's also being able to come home to um, to love and a space that is filled with with peace and happiness is also um, finding time to slow down and realize that our default setting is actually ambition now and that it's important for us to uh, not so much fight for peace or fight for, for relaxation or fight for, fight for quiet moments, but definitely uh, prioritize them. And then happiness is also, um, happiness is good food with good people. Beautiful, I love all those. John, in the first episode we recorded together, you said when more people sing, more people are harmonizing. And not just do I love this, also I recounted it countless times and people are always kind of blown away by that statement. You've had another two years since we last talked live on, on, on a recording um, to further this exploration of making um, our, our voice, our singing voice a sixth sense or explaining how it already is a sixth sense in that sense, right? How our, how our singing voice is a sense. And can you just kind of, take it away from there. I want to hear more of that essence and what's going on there in your exploration. Well, it is absolutely something that's important to me in my life and my career as a singer. I've realized that more deeply as I've become closer to what it is. And I think this will be the, the, the time where I manifest, you know, my next interview with you in a hundred episodes from now. But since that, since that first interview that we did, I, I conducted a few uh, interviews myself with um, some thinkers and authors, and I will continue to do those interviews until I've gathered enough information to uh, assemble the book that I want to write, um, which will really <clears throat> be a collection of these interviews and, and ideas from people of leading the way in neuroscience, phil, uh, sort of science, uh, not just science, but um, I guess, yeah, like physiological science. So dealing with, dealing with the, the mind-body connection and the breath-body connection and the breath-mind connection as well, 
because those are all linked to the voice. And then ultimately uh, connecting with, personally connecting more to my, my spiritual journey uh, and communicating um, on a pretty big way with, with some individuals that, I've, that I feel can actually support this hypothesis of the voice and the singing voice being our, our sixth sense. And so um, the interviews that I conducted were with uh, Stephen Porges, who proposed the polyvagal theory. And we talked about the outbreath, and we talked about the social system that essentially we developed as, as high level mammals. And similar when you look at uh, other species of our, at, that are at our level of consciousness, specifically whales and dolphins. So then I had the conversation with James Nestor of the book Deep and spoke to him about, you know, um, the, imp the importance of the voice. And he was also just a person that was encouraging me to continue down this path. And, um, and then uh, Patricia Gerberg, who her and her husband developed their psychiatrists from Columbia University, and they've developed breathing techniques to help people uh, sort of wean themselves off of psychiatric medicine. Um, these are like scientifically proven uh, breathing techniques that do very similar things uh, to uh, pills, specific uh, types of uh, psychiatric medicines. And so I, I plan to do more interviews and, and figure out more of what, what this really is because my hope, and it's becoming more woven into my, my purpose in life, here as a performer and as an artist is to encourage um, the development of, of the voices of young, young people specifically. Because if we are to change the planet and change consciousness, absolutely everybody has a singing voice. That is something I believe fully, wholeheartedly that we can all approach our voice as an instrument and we can take that journey as much as, we, as much as we have time for and as much as we have room for criticism, um, to take that journey to open up to our instrument and be, hold it in a place of non-judgment and just explore all of the various sounds that we can create and we can mimic, because that's something that I think we can all do and that you can do. But the main thing, the main, uh, choice that we can implement around the world is to find a period of time and to focus this, this specific idea on um, the new generation of humans coming onto the planet. Because if we're able to do that, one, it's free. It's free. And it requires no tools. That's two. So you don't have to pay for anything because it's free because you you're born with it and you don't have to make anything or buy anything or to construct anything to use it. So all it requires, you don't even need a pencil. You don't need a piece of paper. That's brilliant. All it requires is you showing up. So as a child, I mean, I would say the same, same thing about dance, but I, I think that dance is something that I'm not personally as connected to, so I can't speak to it. 
but with the voice specifically, if we're starting to view, you know, how do we save the planet in terms of, you know, climate change and the myriad other things that we're facing in, in this century, my, my soul feels and my gut feels that it's, it is with the children. And if we are to have a, a, a true evolution of mind and of consciousness, if we look back in history, singing, the act of singing is actually led us through the darkest periods of, of, of humanity and has been at the, the, very, the very essence and core of our enlightenments and our awakenings, singing polyphony, you know, many people singing in harmony and singing together. But really, if you just continually distill it down, distill it down, distill it down, it just comes to the mere fact that pe more people were singing. And so singing is not for somebody to own. Singing is not for somebody to profit from. Singing is not for, you know, companies necessarily to, you know, copyright and this and that and put this legal thing on that. You, nobody can stop you from singing. And for children to give that freedom of voice and that not just freedom of speech, but freedom of song, I think that that's something that I will continually pursue throughout my, throughout my life. Beautifully put, John. I think there's some deep resonant truth in uh, empowering and enabling all individuals to reach a state of full expression, right? And um, full expression through the voice and the way the consciousness that I am is being perceived by others is one of the many ways is through the resonance of my voice. And so when more people are singing, certainly more people are harmonizing. Thanks for, thanks for going there again. I think it's, it's such an interesting quest that you're on and I know it will take more time. Right. So um, yeah. we'll, we'll have you, we'll have you back on the show to hear more about what role the sixth sense of our song or singing voice is playing and how we can bring this free tool to uh, yeah, as many young humans or as small humans as possible. You know, I'm very excited for that. Cool. John, is there anything else you'd like to share as we're kind of wrapping up our episode today? Anything that's coming to mind? Any question you want to ask? Any any call to action you want to tell people, go check this out. Well, I will be releasing a new album soon. And that's something that I am pretty proud of. And it's the culmination of the four years of work that I did commemorating World War One and the, and the composers who fought in the war. And so this upcoming piece is, it definitely talks about the end of World War I. It's called The Journey Home. That's the name of the program and the name of the album. And it will be accompanied with a, uh, probably a short documentary that I'll put out as well about our performance at the Kennedy Center at the 100th anniversary of World War I ending. But the, <clears throat> the, the CD itself and the album and the songs talk about a much bigger problem that we face even today, which is uh, the question of where is home? And where is home specifically in a time of crisis and a time of, of, of war? And I think we haven't really gone that much further from World War I. In fact, I would argue that we're right back where we were. And 
even in some ways we make it more difficult now for people to become a part of a nation or a sovereign location. Whereas, you know, we should probably be, be thinking about how, how, how do we become global citizens? How does the world become a singular space again as well? And that's something that's a huge topic and another, another episode for sure. Well, but... this is what all the episodes are really intending to lean towards, right? And I said that offline to you before yeah. we jumped on for the recording is the idea of a holistic vision is exactly for this form of unification right. you just mentioned, right? Is there, there seems to be a cyclical spiral shape of our evolution and there's lots of work being done on that and spiral dynamics uh, for evolution is a great, a great place to start for many people to read up on this. But basically, we seem to go through similar cycles of evolution until we kind of unlock into a next pattern or ability to understand uh, how to deal with similar problems. And as you said, like um, the differences between nation states seem to just be reoccurring patterns and the control governments, um, religions and corporations have over our um, collective are, are quite, yeah, I mean, they're it's absurd in many ways, right? And so the necessity for a shared holistic vision for the planet. Um, and from there, we can still, of course, you know, have lots of different individual and fragmented ways of living that with lots of different cultural identities, lots of different language groups, and even nation states if we choose to have them. But um, I think a turnaround in our thinking to really kind of understand what kind of world would we want to leave behind for seven generations into the future, much more than discussing and fighting over the power in the here and now um, could be a way to yes. live and it could be a way that humanity is evolving. And, and so this is, this is a hope I have, and it's, it's a hope that um, I'm, I'm going to put another hundred episodes into, into that until we speak next. <laughs> Beautiful. And by the way, I think it's worth mentioning to the, the viewers and the listeners that I'm actually living in your apartment in San Francisco for this gig that I'm doing with the San Francisco Opera. So, and you're in Victoria, BC, uh, conducting this interview, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, in Victoria, one of the two places I frequent most, Victoria and then San Francisco. Yes, indeed. I picked the posters that are hanging behind you. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, it's, 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 fun. it's fun, though. This is also something to mention. I mean, you know, the more, the more um, cyclical we, we are in our own journeys, you know, in the sense of, like, understanding um, what is needed, what, what we have to offer, et cetera, in this small what, example. And what do we own? Yeah, what do we it's, really a, it's own? an apartment, and no. you needed one in San Francisco, and uh, me and my partner needed to, to rent our apartment out, so the, the match was just quite that simple. But on a larger matrix between all humans... I think there is always a give and take and a, I have something mm -hmm. you need. So there's, there's probably way simpler opportunities to organize our humanity. Um, we don't need to revolutionize everything because revolution is really an outdated concept. What we require is a form of metamorphosis in which we understand mm. um, better linkages between what is there and what is needed. Mm. Well said. Well, Julian, thank, thank you, you so for much. having me on. Yeah, and I look forward to our next uh, our next chat. One hundred more episodes. Thank you, brother. Bye. -bye.
And that's that, another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I truly hope you had a good time listening to this interview and gain some form of new perspective, inside or knowledge that serves you, that enriches your life. And if that's the case, make sure to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, follow the social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and simply be part of the conversation, one step at a time, wherever you are, have yourself a stellar day.